Father, this is a moment where we would be most blessed if you would show us the good news. You would reveal to us Jesus. Father, the book of Hebrews chapter 2 even tells us that Jesus, our King, has been singing among his people already. We love you, Lord. This is your moment. Instruct us such that we could change because of your grace. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8. We'll continue on in this summer series on this book. Now, we do gather uh, on Sunday mornings to make sure you know this, that we gather uh, at 8.30, coffee served, and we have about 8.45 get going, and so next week the, the women are gathering. And so we have a 1 Thessalonians study, a little more in-depth, and you are more than welcome to come to that. We kind of rotate with men studying, then women, and then rotating the child care, which takes place out in the gazebo. So you're welcome to, uh, to join in. We'd love to have you. Also, after uh, worship today, we are having lunch, and we'd love to have you. Um, and uh, it's a nice, uh, nice setup today, and we'd love to have you uh, uh, remain afterwards. We enjoy uh, a fellowship lunch once a month, and so uh, that's what's underway today. A couple of uh, Christmases ago, somewhere on social media, uh, and I wish I had this image printed, um, it was an image of a very affluent home, something like in Beverly Hills kind of thing, and uh, it was a, a some one of the kids, I'm thinking a teenager, uh, after Christmas presents had been opened uh, with the family, this kid had gone up to the second story of the house and taking a picture of their family. <laughs> and so I laugh because it's just, it's tragic what, what was happening. Here's the deal. So it's Christmas morning, and I'm thinking it's like 11 o'clock, I mean, it's midday, something like that. And so you have a picture down on the family below. There's a large, large couch, and there's uh, Gucci bags, there's Rolex watches, boxes, there's uh, Godiva chocolate. Um, there's a sh- champagne bottles. Um, and, and every high fashion bag you can imagine is strewn out all over the floor, along with about five or six people who are there passed out. Uh, it's, it's Christmas morning. Uh, now, I don't know what it's like to have too much champagne and too much uh, Godiva chocolate, throw in some caviar perhaps. I don't know what happens to the human body, uh, but let me tell you, these folks, it looked, it was, and this kid, I, can't, I really wish I'd figure out where this was. This kid wrote, look what happened to my family. <laughs> that was the caption underneath. Uh, and and uh, that, of course, it's kind of a tragic thing, isn't it? It's, it's a tr- it's, there's, a, there's a great, these folks have engorged themselves with food, and then the lavish gifts, and then the response to all this indulgence is just to, be, to pass out on the couch somewhere on the floor. Or maybe they stayed up all night, you know, they're all tired. And I say this to say that, that we live in a time in our culture where people are exhausted. People are realizing that this experiment, you could go back to the Renaissance or the Enlightenment or 
uh, whatever we, we say with humanism, the idea of human progress. Uh, of course, apart from the scriptures, everyone's, everyone's tired. And there is a profound boredom underway. Now, that's not unlike the ancient cultures. The Romans were used to gorge themselves and then get rid of it and then eat again. Sorry to bring up that unsightly image. They, there was a great deal of, of love affair in the Greek culture of, of the human body. Images, some of them understood that these images were, were overwhelming and powerful. You can only take so much of it, as it were. So, we live in this time where there's a beautiful opportunity for the church to hold forth human flourishing. In the gospel, we're being remade into human beings. So, I want you to move way beyond sort of moral codes. Yep, I'm a Christian. Oh, I don't do this. Oh, I don't do that. Oh, I want you to move way beyond that to see the big, big picture. The big, big picture is about human flourishing. That has to do with things like temperance. Yeah, some chocolate would be good. No, two pounds would not be good. Right? So, so, so temperance, being able to control my bodily passions. Right? Not in some prudish way, but in some way in which I realize I'm being loved by God by being given boundaries. Now, the Thessalonians come out of pagan idolatry, pagan lifestyle. A lot of sexual activity involved in, in that lifestyle. And Paul has come to this town, this area, uh, east of Greece. And he has brought the gospel and they, they cast away their idolatry. Some amazing conversions happen in Thessalonica. And Thessalonica becomes... A, a kind of mission center over the next couple hundred years of sending missionaries to an area we would call Eastern Europe today. So Thessalonians have, have turned away. And no doubt, perhaps they had seen that image of the kid who said, look what happened to my family. Perhaps they had seen in their own lives, they could testify to their own overindulgence, passing out, hoping that some experience, some pleasure could finally cure them of the deep boredom of life. And Paul is now discipling them through this, this epistle, training them, and really he's like a coach saying, that was a great move out there on the athletic field. Do it again. He is encouraging new believers. And I don't know if you've been around new believers. It's very important for a church to have new believers, by the way. Very healthy. They need lots of encouragement. They need lots of help, support, grace, instruction, training. They really don't know. They don't know. They know a few things. They love Jesus, but they don't have a lot of instruction. They need our help. So I've just thought, looked over this passage, and Paul is doing a number of things. But I, just, I, I sort of saw some themes. And first of all, I want to talk to you a bit about 
what's called, I would call it the gravitational pull of, of the old life and the know-how leading to life change. Cover that. Gravitational pull and the know-how leading to life change. And then the grave consequences of forming one's own view of reality. Grave consequences. And then thirdly, the gracious provision of authority and its structure. So, verse 3, let's start there. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, um, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, this gravitational pull. What Paul is saying is clearly stating that you need to grow in your set-apartness in your sanctification. He says it really clear. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. So one of the, one of the very simple, uh, one of the rather obvious things that's going on here is this. What do people need who can still sense the gravitational pull of their old life, what do they need? They need clear instruction. They need clear instruction. Westminster Shorter Catechism talks about sanctification, a beautiful summary. It says this, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed, listen to that, renewed in the in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled, beautiful wording, and enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. That's, that's really hopeful. It's a beautiful thing. When you hear the word sanctification, I don't know how, how you emotionally respond to that. I hear freedom. Sanctification is dealing with the presence of sin in our lives. Sanctification is the relief to know that I no longer have to obey the impulses of my body and desires. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a new Christian. Let me tell you something. They have energy. They're they're front row. Tell me more. I don't know if you've ever been around them. Uh, You need to keep pace with them because they are growing. And they, they tend to do two things really, really well, by the way. And they don't know. I, I would guess that they don't really understand it. But they do these things. Ready? They do two things really well. They know their former life, especially if they came to faith later in life, they know their former life was utter foolishness. I don't want that. I don't want it. I'm not trying to reclaim it. I'm not trying to be a double agent, come to church on Sunday and live my old way. If there's a real conversion, let me tell you something. <laughs> They'll, they'll tell you about their foolishness and their, 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 the futile way of living, as Paul describes it. And so guess what? They're turning away from their old life through repentance. And they're doing something other really, really well. They're expressing faith in Jesus. And they're growing. 
There's an internal work of God where they are discerning, figuring out, trying to grow, trying to understand. They, they want to change. And they accept, they accept usually, not that there's some sort of special spirituality about these people, they accept correction and they accept guidance. In fact, they're a little bit easier to work with than veteran Christians. Did I say that? They accept guidance. They accept correction. They accept uh, uh, teaching. And, and when they hear that they have an opportunity to die unto themselves, they, they are no longer blaming the outside world. They know they are the result that, that their, their life, their foolish, whatever happened, was a result of machinations, oh, excuse me, machinations within them. When Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. Remember that? The second beatitude, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are those who now own, own their contribution to sin. That's what he means. And new Christians... They, they don't get it perfectly, but they own it. Oh, I've, I've tried to manipulate and move away and excuse my sin. New Christians aren't that way. Now, what they need, though, is they need intense and real encouragement. So, And they need straight-up teaching, right? Because there is a gravitational pull of the old life. There's a theological category for this. It's called the flesh. The flesh. You've got one. And by the way, no matter how old you are here, um, but your flesh is not going to improve. So you're going to be just as cranky in your flesh 10 years from now than as you are right now. Aren't you glad you came to church? Your flesh will fight the spirit until you are well into your old, 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 uh, old age years. Okay? So, what is sanctification? Paul's saying, die, die, receive resurrection life, die to your old habits. Paul's keeping the goals of salvation in front of his friends in Thessalonica. Another way of describing sin is enslavement. We often think of it as just as behavior, right? It's just sort of a, an activity we did. It is enslavement. Now, what's the key subject here? Chastity. Abstaining from sexual intimacy before marriage and abstaining, is the key word, abstaining from sexual intimacy outside of marriage. It's right here. Verse 4. To know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Now, that's the goal. The goal is this. To redignify your body. Anyone who goes into sexual exploits is dishonoring their body. And through gospel motivation, the love of God for me, for you, we have moral boundaries. These have been purchased for us. Think about this. 
the instruction you're receiving this morning has been purchased for you by Jesus on the cross. That's what's going on right now. I'm not going to go across a high bridge like the Golden Gate Bridge without any, without any you know, guidelines, some, you know, the, the railings on the side. Kind of can be a scary experience, right? So, we're all, though, dealing with this gravitational pull. Now, to get people's attention, to get the boxer to wake up with some smelling salts, Paul drives in, drives authority to wake up people. People who take this lightly are usually their own authorities. I got it figured out. I know what I need. Got a little romance at the office. I know what I need. I got it figured out. And look at verse 6. That no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter. So there's significant relational benefits to chastity. It's calling the community of God's people to be undisturbed by sexual sin. Now, wouldn't you want that for your church here? That's peace. That's good. That's flourishing. We're, we're, we're dignified people. We're, we're walking upright. We're, we're, we're noble again. Does that make sense? We're noble again. Now, on the side panel of your sermon page, i quoting Paul Tripp and Tim, Tim Lane. We all have our own instinctive ways of thinking, feeling, acting, and wanting in response to life. Take that home. Put that on your refrigerator. Right, it's happening right now. Some of you are like on the edge of your seat, man. This is real. I understand it. Others of you are like, eh, okay. Yeah, kind of half listening. Your instinctive way of responding to this is like, I got this. I'm all right. We could also use the word compulsive. Patterns of responding to life that are ingrained, second nature habits, and we would say sinful habits. But we as a church should get used to this idea, ready? We are all to be counselors to helping people escape the gravitational pull of their flesh. We become counselors. We become helpers. We become a safe place. I was telling someone earlier this week, here I am talking about sexual sin, right? Addressing sexual intimacy outside of marriage, etc. And I, I said, you know, my demeanor in the pulpit, my attitude in the pulpit, uh, better be kind. <laughs> uh, because I would love to have an opportunity to help someone who this passage applies to. I want to be approachable. I would love for you to sense, hey, that guy is a safe person to talk to. Now, if I miss the mark, you can come up and tell me. We want to be a safe community, folks. Let me tell you, and you are all aware of this, increasingly in our culture, we are going to have people who are coming out of all kinds of sexual experimentation. And they're going to be looking to us to be rebuilt. I would really recommend to you the the website Harvest USA. They've been doing this for 25 years or so. Fantastic teachers. Probably we should bring them out here. All their articles online are excellent on this subject. 
But as a church, we're always going to be assisting people in the growth of dying to oneself and living to righteousness. Now, one person responds to life dissatisfaction. One person responds to life dissatisfaction, boredom, and the need for excitement with painkillers. Right? Doctor shopping, multiple prescriptions. So, illicit images on the internet. Nah, it doesn't work for them. But, but it could be painkillers. Another person feels alive through a new and unlawful relationship. Of course, only to be let down. The family I described, that affluent family, they're like us in search of the magic it. The magic, some, some new purchase, some new acquisition will finally, finally cure me. Folks, we are looking for salvation in every sense of the word. And I'm speaking to the non-Christian world. And there is great despair going on right now. The human experiment called humanism is failing. And people are viscerally understanding it. They're feeling it. They understand it. There's no new ideas out there. What a time for the church. What a time for intact marriages. What a time for us to be the city on a hill. Flourishing. What do they need? The cure for their restlessness, part of it is clear instruction. They need clear instruction from a community of God's people who are living in stability under godly authority, abstaining, turning away, practicing temperance, treating their bodies with honor. They need to see that. I didn't know that was possible. Marianne and I noticed, we noticed we've been married 38 years. We just noticed that, I mean, we, when we say 38, around some of you young adults, you're, you're all like, you, you grab it, like you, you have to be stable. stable moment. No, not many people are seeing that these days. Right? The same thing happens for our chastity. Treat your body with honor. Wait to get married. Wait to get married. Wait to get married. And if you're married, practice these boundaries. Not in the passionate lust, we could insert despair of the Gentiles who do not know God. That's the gravitational pull. And the know-how is, of course, training in the gospel. The know-how to abstain. The know-how to not respond to the impulse and compulsions of the flesh. That, that can be a very long conversation. I would not want to give you the impression that there's a quick, easy fix, but it does have something to do with repentance and faith. Now, secondly, the grave consequences of forming one's own view of morality. Verse 5, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse seven, that, or 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. All right, here are the topics. Passion, lust, transgressing and wronging a brother, 
tragic relational and community breakdown, potential dissolution of marriage. Another topic is the Lord is an avenger in all these things. And there's nothing new here. Paul had been instructing the Thessalonians as he was in their city about these things. So essentially two things going on here. The Christian can fall into being their own source of authority. Right? So I can choose what I want to do with my body. I have needs. I have wants. The non-believing world has its own source of authority. Again, that is largely in the feeling world, the mood world. A lot of alcoholics, um, by the way, had at 17 years old, they, they, they drank a lot of alcohol, maybe the first time. And you know what? It was a fantastic experience. I mean, it was like, it was great. And guess what they're doing for the next 30 years? They're chasing down that mood. They're trying to get back to that mood at 17 years old. And so what happens is that we become mood chasers, convinced that what we need is some sort of adrenaline high, some sort of rush, a romance at the office, something's going to work, and we become our own authority in what is good for us. That's pretty simple, right? Let's become our own authority in what's good for us. Now, how do you wake up people who are thinking this way? It's not easy, by the way. Well, here's, here's how Paul does it. Well, if you think you're your own authority, I've got another authority for you to think about. The Almighty, who owns your body. How about that? So what's, what's Paul's solution here? He brings in the ultimate authority. To dismantle the impulses of this tiny little authority that's running around in our bodies. It's a warning that's rooted in reality, folks. We are a people who have been convinced and conditioned that we can shape everything. We are the masters of everything. Look at our technology. Look at our products. Look at our achievements. Look at what we can do. We can manufacture everything. And if you are not satisfied, quote, quote, well, you can fix that. It's a warning rooted in reality. So if you practice your own view of reality... My lusts need to be fulfilled. You are going to bump up against the reality that is baked into what it means to be human being. Oh, this woman has a husband. Oh, he might have some ideas about how another man has expressed himself toward his wife. You're going to bump into reality about the way things ought to be in the world, and it's going to keep chasing you down. Oh, this man has a oh, this man has a wife and children. I can't have a romance with him in the office. I just can't pretend this will not affect everyone involved. I can't pretend anymore. I've got to wake up out of this self-deception. 
You see, there's a pretending going on. Every time our flesh gets the best of us, we are under its deception. We think we are more clever and we will not experience consequences. Sexually transmitted, sexually transmitted diseases, not me. So the Lord provides spiritual smelling salts to the situation. The Lord himself is bringing the boundaries that are necessary out of love for order and human flourishing. He will avenge what is a threat to his church. Now, practically speaking, this means the elders have oversight. And if someone's engaging in activity, that's not what a Christian would do. The elders will inform them. They can withhold the Lord's Supper from someone, admonish someone, and ultimately, if the, the individual remains unrepentant, they cannot be part of the professing community of God's people because they are refusing to act as a Christian. So part of the transforming grace of God in Christ is the reestablishment of authority over the believer. I mean, that's, that's how we got here, folks. The disciples accepted the authority of Jesus over them and said, okay, let's go into this dark, crazy world. Let's do it. We're here because on a human level, the disciples said, let's do it. This is a good, this is a good authority for us. How can we not, right? Now, The transforming grace of God in Christ is the reestablishment of, of authority over the believer. Now, so the gravitational pull, the grave consequences. Again, we've got to wake up. God in his love is a rescuing love. And thirdly, there's the gracious provision of God's authority and structure. If we haven't talked about authority enough yet. Look at verse 7 and 8. For God has not called us for purity, but in holiness. I translate, I translate that to say, do you know how committed God is to your holiness? Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. wonder how often the Apostle Paul encountered people who disregarded him. Christians are under the authority of King Jesus. This is for our flourishing. Christians have demonstrated beauty throughout church history. There's been some tragic things in church history, for sure. But Christians have demonstrated the beauty of a reordered life. New life. Coming coming to bear into their communities, into their cities. Some of you know that the Roman Caesars were first inquiring about who these Christians were. Didn't know anything about them. And the, the assistance to the, to the Caesars informed them the first news that was brought into headquarters in Rome about Christians was this. Caesar, you should know that these Christians pick up dead bodies on the street of people who've died overnight and of their own financial resources pay to have these strangers have a proper burial. It's the first witness of the gospel to the Caesars. 
My point is this. That's a love for the human body. That's a, that's, that's, that means that the person has dignity. And that is a transcendent truth. The Christians did that because, not because Caesar told them to do, of course not, but because God has given to human beings a dignity that separates them from all other forms of life. And this dignity is what God is passionate about, of redignifying you. None of us naturally get God's authority. That's why we need the means of grace, to be a people set apart, holy, distinct, salty, holding forth hope for the community. Just as a sober person recovering from alcohol abuse can guide others because they are sober, able to see, able to counsel, so we ourselves who have sobered up point to the source of change, Jesus, sobered up out of our own proclivities, and our flesh has dozens and dozens of them. And he calls us out of our disordered lives and loves out of darkness to be a city set on a hill. Whoever disregards this is encountering the authority of God himself. Now, is your mind running right now into excuses? Are you working fast to try to avoid what we just covered? I pray not. If you repent, if anything that's been said applies to you, hear God's rescue in this moment. Do you say in your heart, oh, I feel and sense the goodness of these boundaries. And heal me of my misery, my boredom, my rebellion, and my chasing after the magic it. I want to be boundaried. so that I might flourish for your glory. Young people of the church, wait till marriage. Hold forth the beauty of that chastity to our children and the teenagers of the church. That's what the goodness of God's care looks like for them as well. And married people accepting their boundaried condition, holding forth hope for other marriages. Jesus paid a price to place us under the merciful authority of God. None of us naturally get the authority of God. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the boundaried one, the one who willingly submitted himself to all your good law, never once transgressed it, never once Let a desire rule his heart. And it's in him we're safe. Thank you, Father, for the gospel. We love you. We thank you that you are at work in your people. Help us to love your authority and to love your gospel that has awakened us to your authority. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.